0: welcome to the coffee podcast where our
1: focus is people and our language is coffee episode 20 this is our pulp fiction pulp fiction don't you like what we did there play on words coffee edition all right well let's jump right into it we're going to have a little bit of an educational episode tonight. Yeah, so get your notebooks out. You know, your notebooks that are, you know, tainted with coffee stains, hopefully, probably. So, coffee is the seed of a cherry. We've already talked about this. We sure. talked about this many episodes ago. We're not about to go back to that uh level now. But with that, there's this thing called processing. Yes. What's Wes, let's jump into processing.
0: Well, processing is uh, pretty much how you make your coffee consumable um, before your coffee can be roasted. And uh, after it is picked off the tree, it has to be processed. Um, And there are three different ways to process your coffee. As many of you have seen, there are washed coffees, natural, and honey processed. Now, there are varying shades of honey-processed coffee, but we'll just stick with those three for now.
1: And I think, too, that there are probably more processes coming about at this time that we're not going to cover because you just don't see them.
0: Yeah. um, There is some little experimentation going on out there. La Palma, LE2Con being one of them. Uh, But essentially, they're experimenting with the washed process form. Um, So, yeah, we're going to kind of jump in and... uh, kind of define or uh, bring to light what these processing methods uh, how they how they come about and um, how they impart quality into the being themselves
1: so let's start with mucilage sure what nope. is mucilage yeah. and let me start here uh, you know when you get a cold and and you get that really nasty snot, No, wait, that's mucus. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Mucilage is not mucus. (laughs) My bad. Uh, Mucilage is, if you're looking at the coffee cherry itself, it kind of has a layer. So on the outer layer, you have the pulp. The next layer in is the mucilage. The next layer in is the hull, also known as the husk. Or the parchment. Or the parchment. And then you have the seed. And I guess in between, even those would be the... Silver skin, kind of chaffy stuff, yeah. So right after you cut through the pulp, there's this mucilage, and... It's basically this organic substance, because that's what coffee is. Yep. Um, that affects greatly. It's a direct effect on the way a coffee is going to cup. So whether or not it's present in the process of, um, in this part of the process. Yeah. And it's going to change those flavors drastically. Yeah, it does seem that as you guys will come to
0: find that the three different stages of processing. Um, mainly have to do with whether or not mucilage is involved and how. So it's kind of, um, it might be safe to say that mucilage um, plays a very important part in how uh, a coffee tastes.
1: Yeah, you could even argue it's one of the defining factors of how a coffee is going to cup.
0: And we'll start with the first um, processing stage, and that would be uh, washed coffees. Um now these are your coffees that tend to be um very complex, very clean uh in the cup. And how they actually process this coffee is they take the cherry and they depulp the seeds from the fruit. Sure. And after the flesh is removed from the seed, these beans with the mucilage intact go into these um, fermentation tanks where the mucilage is washed off over a period of some time. Right, through fermentation. Right, exactly. Um, And then after that, the beans are taken out of the fermentation tanks and they are dried free of mucilage at that point. So the coffee uh, is taken out of the fruit, the mucilage is... um, washed off or, you know, through broken fermentation, down. Exactly. Yeah, broken down through the microbes. Right? And then the coffee is then dried, um, free of mucilage resulting in a very consistent roast. Um, and it's usually recognizable by this little, um, fine white line in, in the crack of your coffee. I really don't know how to say that the white crack
1: coffee, like the if, white, the white crack.
0: Yeah. If it's got a clean crack, then, you know, it's probably washed.
1: Yeah. I mean, Wes. Wes was just showing me a coffee that he had. Uh, We both had a natural and a washed, and he was showing me the wash. You can clearly see a white crack down the middle. It's
0: like it's like a bean. It's chaff or silver skin in the center there.
1: Yeah, it's almost like it's like caught in there. Yeah, and I don't want to make analogies. I just don't. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, with the wash process, um, it's almost as if we're trying to completely remove the mucilage from the coffee in a very precise manner. Uh, to result in this very clean complex cup. Now, there are some um, defects that can come from this processing method, and this usually occurs when these beans um, are left inside the fermentation tanks for multiple rounds. Uh, like when they're transferring the beans out of the fermentation tanks to be washed, a few might get stuck in the in the tank, and they you know go through a couple times, and those beans actually become Overly fermented, um, which results in the ferment defect, which, uh, as Jesse cupped for the first time last week, correct, was uh, it's a very undesirable rotten fruit flavor. Yeah, putrid. Yeah, very recognizable and um, only found in washed coffees.
1: Right, and I think that this was kind of a misconception that we had to even go back over because I think when people think washed coffee, they assume... That these things don't happen for whatever reason, it's like you assume, oh, well, it's washed, so you you somehow skip over in your brain, like, oh, the whole fermentation process that could go real wrong. And if it does, it's really bad. And it's really, really bad. Yeah. Whereas you might think, oh, you're going to get that out of the natural, and you get it in a washed. Mm. So, um, and keep in mind how you can apply this as you go buy whole beans, roasted whole beans, and when you go buy, yeah, I mean, even if you bought green bean, sure, yeah, um. As you're listening to us go through these three different processing, yeah. Um, so with washed,
0: we're removing the the bean from the cherry, or washing off the mucilage using fermentation, and then drying them free of mucilage. Um, now we're going to move on to naturally processed coffees. Now this is quite a different approach from the washed, in the fact that the coffee is not pulped at all. These cherries are picked and then they are immediately dried in the flesh, still intact. The pulp is not taken off the, the bean. These beans are drying in the cherry. Which? For, for, yeah. yeah, for a certain amount of time. And the bean really gets to absorb all the sweetness, um, all the sugars from the flesh itself before it is uh, washed off. Um, leaving a very fruit-forward cup. Absolutely. And uh, these tend to uh, produce more of a motley roast or an uneven roast because of different densities um, and many different factors. They're not as consistent um, in the processing stage. But one thing they do have is the fact that they are much fruitier than the latter wash process.
1: Correct. And... Back to what we kind of said on the last episode, those natural Ethiopians sure. that a lot of shops are carrying yeah. have all those features, have the fruit-forwardness right. and all these things because the beans themselves are being processed within the cherry. Right. Um, and I don't know, maybe I just missed you say it because I was just like off in la-la land. Right. But, um, you mentioned in what kind of countries these come from, right? So Ethiopia, no, yeah.
0: So I I haven't brought it up yet, but um, this was kind of like the primitive stages of coffee processing. It was uh, very um, easy to do because it did not require a water source. So a lot of the times you'll find these naturally processed coffees most prevalent in um, coffee producing regions where water is more scarce. Where it's more valuable, and they don't have the resource, or they don't have water as a resource, um, to be able to wash their coffees. Uh, in some case, it may be considered by green coffee buyers to be uh, inferior to the washed coffees because of this. Uh, it is sometimes considered to be uh, less valuable and more or slightly dirty compared to washed, but Again, it's all on preference, and a lot of people really love naturals, myself included. Sure. Um, But to a green coffee buyer, um, naturally processed uh, coffees um, might not be the cleanest cup in coffee.
1: Sure. And, you know, I think, too, if we're going to talk about, you know, blends at all, I think without naturally processed coffees, your blends are going to be pretty or almost like blends become pointless at some point because you're blending light coffees. Say if you just blended washed coffees together, yeah, you might get something nice, but you're not going to get something as complex as if you were to introduce some sort of percentage of, of a, a natural. Right. Um, and,
0: and for what, what I'm saying there is not, don't take it as gospel because um, Brazil is such a large producing uh, coffee country, but a majority of all of their coffees are actually naturally processed. Um, And I think this might have something to do with the quantity. They just don't have... uh, They're producing so much coffee, they can't really afford to wash all of it. But places like Colombia, I don't think I've ever seen... And if you guys have, please let me know, but I don't think I've ever seen a naturally processed Colombian. Hmm. I've seen, I think, honey processed somewhere. I'm trying to remember... But I know that the F and C, the government regulates coffee and is very strict. And by government standards, they require coffee to be washed. They they find more value in washed coffees than they do natural. Just something to think about. Um,
1: well, and and I think something we didn't really even take note of is the difference between washed and natural. One of the major differences is that water and is yeah. it is it or is it not? It's pretty uh, has, carries pollutants.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. Um when you have a uh, a mill or you're you're processing your coffee in a washed sort of manner, you are going to be polluting that water source as well. So there have been some really awesome steps done um in, you know, recent years about these types of uh, natural filtration systems that you can use for your water source um to try and not completely ruin it. Sure. Um but and there's you you'll hear stories of um Stumtown even had a direct trade contact with someone in Rwanda for a few years and um their water source actually dried up, so this uh co op or this farm was actually hiking five kilos there and back just to bring water in to wash their coffee.
1: You were That's wild. Yeah. Yeah, that was on that uh, uh film about coffee. F- film about That's coffee. right. Yep. So
0: Stumptown actually came in and they built um a well, right? Or they right. they they were able to uh, redirect water um to the processing plant so that they could continue to wash their coffee. Yeah. Um yeah. But moving on to honey processed coffees. Now this is where um there can be a little bit of confusion i know myself until it was really described to me i I kind of confused honey processed coffee with naturals and here's why because the honey processed coffees um are depulped so the bean is taken out of the fruit but the mucilage that outer fleshy uh, layer is left on the bean and then it is dried with the mucilage on it so um, I guess you could think of it as, it's like a semi-natural, right? Because naturally processed coffees, they're dried with all of the pulp, all right. of the flesh on it. Whereas a honey prep um, just has a thin layer of mucilage left on it.
1: Yeah, this is this one's really interesting to me. And you don't necessarily see too much of this. I'm, I'm trying to think how often I see honey processed. It's, yeah,
0: it's coming more popular, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, it's it's growing in popularity. And I think the reason probably is because people want both. They okay. want the best of both worlds, and they yeah. think that this is kind of the compromise in between here. Um, but again, it goes back to what we introduced at the very beginning in discussing this, how important the mucilage plays a role right. in all of these processes. Right. If you recall, in Washed, it was absent. In right. Natural, it's completely present. Yeah, absolutely. And in Honey Process... They're trying to
0: get a little bit, you know, it's like a light, it's like a natural light.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah, it, it it is really interesting. Um, these are only three different ways. But... Well,
0: and what's really cool about the honey processed is there's different types of honey process. There's uh, like a white honey process. There's a yellow honey process. And there's even a black honey process. And I think what is the major distinguishable um, factor between these three different types of honey processing is the amount of mucilage left on the bean. So they even uh they even kind of go it and sort it into that factor so a white honey process would have like the least amount of mucilage left on it while drying the yellow would have a little bit more mucilage than the white and then the black would have even more than the yellow but not quite uh you know as much pulp as the natural would get So I wonder,
1: I wonder if that's something I mean I'm not sure I'm speculating here but is it you, how would they even control that, do you know? Like, how would they control the it would levels? To, I think it would
0: have to do with the um, the depulper, for sure. Um, but it definitely is more hands-on, I would think, which is why it's not very common. I think everything that has to do with honey processing is very hands-on, because you've got to depulp it, and then you've got to lay it all out, and then you've got to watch it and rake it and turn it Sure. Um,
1: before you then uh, can wash it and get it ready for dehusking. But, well... I would raise the question now. How, Wes, would I apply this knowledge to my everyday coffee experience? How would you give me like a live example, a real real life example of, hey, now I know these things. How is it going to help me to yeah. direct?
0: Well, let me answer that with kind of a, a cool story. Um, so just actually this week, we got in this flight of coffee from Costa Rica. Um, and I think Victrola is offering it right now. And what they did was they took this coffee that was rust slash Roya resistant and it was the same coffee from the same farm, and they processed it three different ways. They had a wash process, a naturally processed, and a honey processed of the same exact coffee. That's awesome. So we were actually able to cup them side-by-side side and taste how one coffee... The same coffee, fermented three different ways, drastically impacts the flavor. So they
1: even did honey process.
0: That's yeah. That was a really That's, cool tool. That is really cool. Yeah. So
1: tell me in your experience there, since I think this is a great example. Yeah. Did you prefer one over the other? Did you did you think that the honey process was a balance between the two? What were your perceptions? Um, and I think this has to
0: go back in when, when I was talking about natural. It has a lot to do with preference. Um, Yes, there was a very noticeable difference. Um, Myself, I found was leaning towards the washed coffees, and I've been really leaning towards washed coffees. But that's just my palate. Sure, same here though. Right, with the processing, it's really distinct to how you want it to cup, or how you want your coffee to taste. And I'll tell you what, the the washed coffee to me tasted the brightest. It was very clean. It was pulling some sort of like nectarine, vibrant effervescent, just awesome. It was just so bright and clean and complex and very sparkling in a way. Uh, It was very exciting on the palate. And then you moved on to the natural and the natural was, or I'm sorry, we actually moved on to the honey process after Mm -hmm. that. Um, And the honey processed was good. I mean, it was big. It had uh, quite a bold sweetness about it. It was very sweet. Um, which was I liked it right, it was tasty and it was pretty pulpy as well, so it kind of tasted very Interesting, yeah. very cherry pulpy um, and that was nice, it had good acidity, and then we moved on to the natural, and that one was by far the biggest uh fruit forward cup. It was very pulpy, very cherry like um very sweet fruity, and you know there were six people cupping it, and out of six of us we couldn't really determine on one some people were you know swearing by the honey. Others were swearing on the natural, and here I am, you know, raving about the washed. But it's completely, uh, that's the cool thing about processing is you get to kind of uh, manipulate how the coffee tastes in a way. If you're after that very clean, very sparkling, effervescent, delicious washed, which I am, that's my season right now, Uh, you can do that. And then also cupping the honey and the natural side by side, you can really just see... um, you know, just if you really want that fruit-forward stuff, then Definitely. you know, hey, I'm going to be looking for naturals. So it's it's a very, it's cool to see how one coffee processed three different ways um, results in a very different cup.
1: Right, and I I think you could go, you know, depending on where you are, uh, either buying coffee or your coffee shop, you can use these uh, processes as a means to either educate customers coming in or guests coming in, or as a guest coming into a shop, you can make educated decisions about what kind of coffee you're going to be drinking. Yeah. So I think, you know, coffee becomes more and more interesting the more you learn about it. Because of course. if you know region yep. and you know process and, you, and you're able to make such precise decisions and almost know what you're about to get in your cup, which yes. I think is really exciting. Yep. I think it's the same thing that makes wine drinkers mm-hmm. or wine tasters so excited about trying a new wine because... They understand the context of what they're tasting before Mm -hmm. they even, you know, stick their nose to it. Right, right. So, speaking of sticking your nose to it, (laughs) which this is completely unrelated. No, something smells fishy. Maybe that's how we can transition into this. Something smells fishy. Something is fictional out there in the uh, coffee world. And we kind of wanted to take a moment to just discuss it. Um... To bring it to the light, right? um, To bring it to light, and Mm -hmm. and uh, that is direct trade. Direct trade
0: misconceptions, I think, would be a better way to um, bring up this topic. Uh, So, or fictions, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Kind of goes into our like sensory manipulation a few episodes ago about like perceptions and whatnot. Oh yeah. Um. so we've talked about direct trade and we've talked about it in kind of this glowing sense of it's the best thing you can do for the farmer. You're paying uh, more money per pound, which empowers these farmers, right. increases the livelihood of these families Um. and yada, yada. We've sung that song. And uh, we believe that song. Absolutely. When direct trade is done right, It is the best thing you can do, I think, um, for your producing farms, for your families down there. Um, But when we start getting into uh, marketing and we start getting into uh, how to increase, uh, I don't know,
1: presence, I guess. If you use... Uh,
0: yeah what do you Yeah to say?
1: I I mean I think I can tackle this a little bit just from experience in business in general is when and western and I were talking about this earlier there's a sense in which companies quickly become money oriented mm-hmm. and it causes them to make money oriented decisions when maybe they should be making decisions of integrity or decisions of uh decisions that will actually truly help people and right. and there's this just misconception about brand, 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 branding. And so Mm -hmm. what companies do is they basically will go in will find a means to make themselves look like they're involved in something they're not really involved in. Right. And then they will give themselves credit so that people buy their product.
0: And feel like they're doing
1: good. And the, and the people who are buying their product genuinely, and I think rightfully, feel yeah. like they're helping in some cause that they're not actually helping in. Sure. Um, or if they're helping in, it's not as, ef- as effective as maybe it's painted to them. And this isn't
0: like a, a new... Theme here, like this is out there, right? Uh, it's so, not a new
1: topic. We all definitely, I, I mean, I'm just gonna say it as as clear as I can say it is you know, I would argue, um, whenever I'm a business owner in the future, you know, I would say I don't ever want to have money be my end game, right? It's just not fulfilling, mm-hmm. um. And if money is your end game, I think direct trade quickly becomes about your brand and Absolutely. you quickly start making decisions that are easy that aren't actually direct trade. And I think sure. that's what we need to kind of dig into a little bit.
0: Yeah. Talking about that direct trade misconception here. Um So as you guys know, we've been compiling this this list of uh direct trade coffees and in doing so, um that has allowed us to kind of investigate uh, certain roasters, um, just to kind of, uh, see, you know, whether or not this direct trade thing is, is real because, um, more often than not, you'll be surprised at, um, at these claims of direct trade, which actually have no substance and actually have no, uh, transparency
1: or yeah. Well, yeah, I agree with you. Um, let's tell this story really quick. I'm going to let you tell it, but I think it's not so much, um, that it's a lie that's being told as it is not as transparent as it should be. Right. So it's almost like a white lie. Yeah. Which I say is a lie. Right. So So I'm going to let you tell the story. We'll
0: say it hypothetically. So let's say you are a importing platform that has direct trade relationships with four producing regions. Now, you pay. you know the farmers you know the families, and you pay top dollar for these four coffees and you import them into your facilities. Now, at this point, you are a direct trade platform where roasters can find you and buy coffee from you as labeled direct trade coffee without the farmer and the roaster ever speaking a word to each other. Is right. that direct trade?
1: And that's the question we're raising. Is that direct trade? Is it fair to put direct trade on your bags if you don't have a relationship with the farmer? Absolutely. The importer and the producer might. And there that
0: thing going on, I think that is a direct trade. The importer is paying high Uh, top dollar for this coffee and they're bringing it in that's a relationship that they have with the farm but it's when these roasters start to buy the coffee as direct trade and market it as if they personally know the farm and they personally um are supporting this like are they really like in some way they are because they're they're buying the coffee at a higher price which is you know, if in turn, sure, um, helping out this farm.
1: I think, I think I'm 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 gonna kind of draw it here and say, I think it's a good idea. I think this idea is a sure. good idea. I think it's a great business strategy. Yeah, I think it's a great idea to actually do direct trade and to even pay the top dollar for and the to coffee. pay the top dollar. Yeah. I think it's all great until you get to the bag when it says so and so roasting company direct trade. Where it looks like you're, you, the roaster... You, like,
0: pe- uh, your green coffee buyer yeah, and your you company are, went down there.
1: And I feel that, like, that's the white lie that I think... Yeah. I mean, if you're in that position right now and you're like, oh my goodness, that's my company, <laughs> I think you should just, like, you don't need to stop it. No. You just need to be more transparent, like we are part of this direct trade platform right or or sourced are, from, or sourced this, from platform, this platform which, which direct trade exactly like i think like that is it sounds like semantics but to me as a as a consumer coming into a shop if you tell me you're direct trade and i find out that you're buying from basically a green bean pretty trader much, yeah pretty much and and then i'm like wait a second so you sourced it you got it from a trader who
0: it wouldn't even be a trade, It'd be an importer. Yeah, I an guess. importer. I, I guess uh, in a way.
1: Well, um, the point of it is, yeah. it's not very transparent, and it's no. to me very mischievous. It's very like, oh, look over here while well, my hand's doing this. Like, come right. on, <laughs> like, like that's not transparency. And I think that's that, marketing. That's marketing. Yeah. And if you think good marketing is lie marketing or white lie marketing, then I I don't even know.
0: You know, I've even seen on bags. Uh, Roasters put their importers on the bag. Like I've seen, a Goshen Coffee, you know, it says importer Royal Coffee. That's awesome. Blueprint, like their importer is like Cafe Imports. That's really and they're straight up owning up. They're like, you know, this is as far as our our transparency goes. We got it from blank, right? And then you go to blank, and they're like, oh well, we got it from blank, and you can you can start tracing the paper trail back to the farm. But if you start like, you know. Uh, pushing those papers under the table and kind of like alluding to the fact that you're doing more than you really are. Yeah. That's where it's getting murky. Is it direct trade? Yeah. Depending on what side of the of the chain you are. If you're the roaster, no. Yeah, I'd say no. You know, but it is a good idea. And I think it is kind of, um, it's great that these roasters are able to go and pay the higher dollar for something that will be in turn helping the farm But if you're going to say direct trade on your bag, at least go and visit them. Make a flight down there, shake the guy's hand, take pictures of you and the farm, whatever. If you're going to label direct trade, get to know the farmer.
1: Transparency.
0: Yeah. You're listening to The Coffee Podcast, where our focus is people and our language is coffee. Happy brewing.